Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the VR Download, a weekly show recorded live within the virtual, the Upload Virtual Studios, where we bring you the latest news, reviews, updates, and interviews. David, did I say that right? You covered for me last week during the CES thing, and I really appreciate that uh, being the host here for me. Was that? Did uh, I say it right? It was a downgrade from last week, but you know, it was always going to be, so that's fine. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. So we've got a lot to cover here, folks. So uh, let's get into the news now. If you're new to the show, we've got four sections here. So we've got the news, the release of the week, the hot topic, and then an interview. So First piece of news this week, the Oculus Go has cut its price from $200 down to 150 which makes Ian very excited to go out and purchase one, maybe. Uh, Ian, why don't you talk about this? Oh, great, great. All right. <laughs> so Oculus Go is obviously the more limited headset in their lineup. They shipped it first in, what, 2018, so it's an older device. And they've already reti retired the social features. Uh, and so you can't Which were access really Oculus cool. Rooms. Yeah, I miss cool. the rooms. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, there's going to be... It's a great price, though, right? $150 is such an interesting entry level. And you could just use it as a media viewer where you go into bed, lay down, and put in headphones so you don't bug your partner if your partner's in bed with you. And you can just, you know, watch a Netflix movie or something on your ceiling. Uh, very quietly and privately with, with no hand movement, you know, without any, uh, without having to do anything. So it's, there's a good use case there, but there's still the if issue. If you have of like, like a, another use case I'll say is if you have like a 360 camera of some kind, or if you go on vacations and stuff, you could take 360 photos and videos and view those in the go. I think yeah. it's a great device for that too, especially with the way you can access cloud media and stuff like that. But uh, we just got a comment. We we actually asked to confirm and, and tried to understand whether Facebook Horizon, which is Facebook's new social networking service that they're going to be pushing uh, big this year, is going to be on Go because they've they've been very careful about uh, their language in saying that Facebook Horizon is going to support Oculus Quest and it's going to support, support Oculus Rift, but they haven't said... They haven't absolutely said no to Oculus Go. What they've said is Facebook Horizon is built around interactivity. And interactivity is really critical to what they're trying to build with that social networking service. And I don't think I you can get that interactivity a, out a of PR, Go. I just you know, PR spin to focus on the positive. Instead of saying, no, it won't be on Go, they say, oh, but it will be <laughs> on Rift and Quest. I just don't know why they can't say it won't be on Go. It's so much, it would be so much clearer to their audience to say, look, this is not a social networking device. This is a media viewer. Go get our social networking device uh, for $400. Yeah. So I'm curious, Diane, what is your take on the Oculus Go and its value in the current market? Well, you know, I think it's a shame because, um, you know, I think that there is a place for three dock headsets in the market. Um, not everyone needs or wants a six dock device. Um, you know, not every, there are educational markets in particular that are more interested in three dock. And, you know, having an affordable device for that is really important. And um, there might, they might want some sort of social, uh, social experience for that. 
And to be frank, I think that the Oculus Go was a really, it was a really good headset. It was comfortable. Like I've already adjusted my quest like a billion times because it's just, it's a heavy, it's, it's a heavy headset. And I know a number mm-hmm. of people who just can't really wear the quest because it doesn't fit their head and it doesn't fit their hair. Like I've already, I taking this on and off while we were troubleshooting my audio issues, I've already caught my hair in this thing like 20 times and ripped out mm-hmm. a bunch of hair. Um, and so, you know, it's not your fault, you. it's maker's fault. It's one of those things that I think that, um, that the Go was a really good device and it filled a niche that I don't think, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that there's any other really just lightweight, comfortable three doff headsets on the market other than the, other than the Go. Yeah. Well, and standalone kind of support and library. Yeah. 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 Yeah, And standalone, not having to use your phone because I think the gear VR uh, did in some ways introduce us to that concept, but, um, but yeah, I, I do. I believe I'm one of the people that do believe that the Go, as I stare at Ian, <laughs> I do believe that the Go has value in the uh, in the community still. And there's a lot of people who, like for example, I did a, a roller coaster uh, motion chair called Y'all at CES, and to be honest, it really only needed a three doff because I really couldn't move much anyway. Because you know, mm-hmm. if I'm leaning back or if I'm strapped into some sort of chair simulator. I can only really do this anyway. So a three doff headset would be perfect, yeah, assuming did, that it can control it. I did it. this one uh, roller coaster in Vegas that used a Gear VR. And yeah. because you're strapped in in a roller coaster, you don't need the headset to move, you know? So the, mm-hmm. they just sync up the experience with your real world movement, and it, it was perfectly comfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, do we have any comments, Tatiana? Anything from the uh, our viewers on YouTube uh, right now? James O'Loughlin said that it's a gateway headset. Yes. <laughs> yeah. VR was my uh, gateway headset. I was yeah. going to say, um, Diane, I actually tried the VR Power, the battery pack at CES, and it totally fixed the Quest problem for me. Oh, okay. That's like, really interesting. Because I, I feel you. Like, it's, I haven't been able to use my Quest at all, and the second I put it on, it was fixed. Explain how that works, Tatiana, for the people that oh. haven't read it. Hello, people that haven't read my article. Um, so basically, it's a battery pack. I only have one hand. My other controller's not working, so I apologize. Uh, and it straps to the back of, you know, the Quest thing. And it looks like it goes on pretty easy. And it's actually even got, like, a cable management thing that rolls along the top. And it's a battery pack that claims to give you up to ten, uh, eight hours of gameplay, ten hours of streaming, and also acts as a counterweight. And it's not heavy at all. Like, I know a lot of people that were commenting on the article and stuff were saying, like, oh, my gosh, like, I just wanted a, a, you know, VR headset, like, pictures of people and, like, neck braces. Like, no, actually, it made it lighter. Um, It completely, you know, my face would always be in so much pain, and I would never be able to see clearly through my quest, and my nose would be pinched, and it was just awful. And it just really sucked because... The Quest is such a good headset to introduce people to, right? And I have to sit here and be like, yeah, it's great, but I can't wear it. And I feel bad for saying that. But the VR power has completely, it has removed all the struggles that I had with it. Now, I do want to add that 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 number, 8 to 10 hours of gameplay, includes the battery already in the headset. And this gives you a supplement of 
you know, that, that's, six, that six is what minutes. the phrasing uh, seems to be at. So it's like yeah. up to eight hours of gameplay, up to 10 hours of streaming. So I'm assuming yeah, it's just with the. Most to get two or three out of a, a quest. And I'll say, uh, I, I don't know, David, have, have you gotten two or three hours out of a quest? Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Okay. What about you, Diane? Are you seeing that to be a pretty consistent number? I admit, I don't really use my quest for huge amounts of period of time at once because um, my face starts to hurt. Yep. Yeah. Well, totally that's, that is a very understandable uh, opinion there. Okay, let's move on to the next piece of news. So uh, just recently, Pimax COO states customer support has all moved back to China. And the Pimax uh, European marketing manager denies that and lashes out at a, a news outlet called Upload VR. <laughs> We're going to let Ian uh, have a conversation about this with himself. So, uh, Pimax, for those who are unfamiliar, makes a very wide field of view uh, line of headsets. So, uh, they've, uh, I think they kickstarted, they, they crowdfunded a while back. Uh, China-based, and all their headsets have a dramatically wider field of view compared with anything else you can get in the consumer price range of like sub-$1,000 to sub-$2,000. So they have a very appealing feature that a lot of people really want out of a VR headset, which is more immersion. You know, I've got my field of view is only out to, you know, a hand's width uh, on my Quest or on my Rift S. And on Index, it goes a little bit further out. And then on the Pimax headsets, it goes out way, way, way farther. So there's uh, a lot of people that really want that extra immersion provided by a wider field of view. And so we've been following Pimax for a long time, and there's a lot of people out there that want to know uh, a lot about their headsets. So we're, we're following them and trying to follow uh, what their latest is. But They've also announced varying timelines over the years to delivery of various products. They've announced quite a number of headsets. So they've got a whole line with uh, varying resolutions, uh, varying uh, feature sets. Um, they also are an unusual company in the market in that they uh, have built sort of their own software um, solution that interfaces theoretically with uh, the Oculus Store and the Steam Store so that uh, you can access a variety of content. Uh, on Steam, for example, if, if you have a Steam VR headset, you can access Oculus content with Revive. And they've got, uh, I believe, Pimax has its own version of that. So uh, we saw Pimax last week. We've, we've checked out the Pimax demos over the years and uh, checked them out at each of the CES conferences. And uh, we saw, I mean, David, I think you saw Pimax 8KX, was it years ago? I mean, what did you see at the um, last? It was an 8K, not an 8KX. And that, okay. So CES 2018 is when I saw the 8K for the first time. And then last year in 2019, I saw the 8K and the 5KX. And uh, now since then, I have a 5KX at home and um, that I'll be planning to review soon. And uh, then at CES, just earlier this month, you tried the AKX, right, Ian? Yeah, I tried AKX, and Tatiana went after me and tried a couple of the headsets. Um, where So I, I gave my impressions of what I saw in AKX, and uh, we also wrote this article that explained 
um, that we, we know there was an interview with MRTV talking with uh, the COO, Kevin Henderson of Pimax, and uh, they made some comments about support. You know, support is very important to customers. They want to make sure that if there's a problem, big or small, with their hardware, that they can get it addressed. And given that Pimax is a, a China-based company, there's a language barrier there to a certain extent in communicating what they are planning, what they're doing now, and what they're doing in the future in explaining that to an English audience. And then on the other side of that, if you get your headset, you buy their, your hardware from them, and you've got some sort of problem that you need to address, you want to have someone you can email or text message or call to who speaks your native language to answer your questions. And the, the CEO made some comments on this interview with MRTV that indicated that uh, that's changing. And uh, we've reached out to Pimax. We've got uh, some emails going back and forth with them. There's still that uh, language barrier there uh, that we're, we're trying to get through and, and understand what's uh, actually going on here, both now and in the future. Um, I think I should comment and explain uh, one of the things here is we use the word claims in a fair number of our articles when we're referencing Pimax to refer to their plans because partially because of this language barrier and uh, this history of promising delivery of products and then delaying them by six months, a year, longer. And so we have sort of ended up relying on the word claims to refer to things from this, from this company because uh, it's so difficult to get clarity about their plans and delivery on those plans. So, uh, yeah, it's an ongoing thing where uh, we've reached out to Pimax uh, and uh, I've got a recent email from uh, their CEO saying that we're going to get some sort of comment uh, clarifying the support situation. Is that all we have to say about that? I think I think that's all there is to say about it right now. We're, well, we're working to clarify and we'll <clears throat> let you know and read uploadvr.com as soon as we have that clarity from them. Okay. I also want to point out that I also have a Pimax headset as part of my collection. Uh, it is a Kickstarter uh, backers who no longer wanted it and I purchased it off of them. So there there are multiple Pimax headsets in our possession. Some currently. might say Pimaxes or Pimax I. Pimax I? Yeah. yeah. Pimanges? A, no, I don't know yeah. how that works. No, it's NX. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So moving right along to our next piece of news, there are widespread reports of stuttering and performance issues for Rift, Rift S, and Quest Link users after the Oculus PC December update version 12. Um, I have noticed that my link isn't really working as well as it did originally. Um, uh, I don't know whether that's because of the update or because of my janky off-brand cables that I'm trying to get working. But, David, uh, have you had any problems stuttering? No, I can't say I have, to be honest. Um, oh. I haven't used Link since I first tried it back in November. I just don't have a reason to. Um, but, yeah, Rift has been fine. I haven't noticed anything. Okay. Tatiana, you use the Link, uh, I know. No? No, that's Harry. No? Okay, so Ian, are you using Link? 
I'm using Rift S right now. I used Link last week with the with the download. Um, yeah, I, I I'm not noticing any major issues, but like I right now my Rift S is working great. Um, this is very solid. Okay. So, yeah. No, I've had some slight connection issues, uh, but uh, that could be related to my card or my computer or the software. Who knows? But if folks are uh, saying that they see this, that they're having the stuttering. Uh, are, are there any specifics? Do we know? I don't know. I mean, Diane, have you had any problems since the latest update? This is actually my first time using Link. Um, mm. Is is this? And I'm really uh, excited because it opens a whole new world of possibilities. Even though I'm currently tied to the world's shortest cable because I bought this <laughs> brand new shiny cable. Um, I, I'm essentially hugging my VR computer right now. Uh, if anyone like sees me like leaning over weirdly, um, it's it's because I am tied to the world's shortest cable. Um, I, I bought this beautiful long cable and then realized that I don't have the right port on my PC and oh. I don't have the right dongle. And then last night I was you know digging through all of my cord drawers, um, cords just everywhere looking for the right dongle and didn't have it. And I was like, so I can either go along with the short cable or I can go out and buy a new dongle. And, uh, eat. well, that's what I chose was the world shortest cable. So now, now that I know what I need, I might, might try it more. So that's, it's a shame to hear that people are, are dealing with the stuttering and everything, because I know that that, uh, that that's a, something that we at, at Firefox reality, that, we work really, really hard to work on efficiency and everything um, because stuttering and everything, as you know, can contribute to cyber sickness, which nobody really wants. Uh, and there are just there are so many things that can cause it, whether it's, you know, the software, whether it's your computer, whether it's, you know, none of that at all, whether it's just like a weird user perception thing. Um so it's a shame to hear that the update might be causing that or, you know, might not be. It might just be some weird thing that a bunch of people are experiencing. I don't know. Yeah, there, there may be some correlation between all the folks that are having this problem. There might be something specific. The thing is, when we're talking about software uh, updates and driver updates and things like that, there's always going to be issues. And we just hope that the company that puts these out takes care of it and fixes it. So get it on, get on it, Oculus. If there's, if there's an issue out there. Um, yeah. Comments. Let's see what kind of comments we got. Yeah. Uh, Engi, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. It says, uh, they're around the limit for what's acceptable for VR and their CV one. And they've noticed more ASW and jittering lately. Hmm. I wonder if it's, if they're trying newer content, that's more demanding or if they're doing the same experiences they've always done. And now they're noticing issues they didn't have before. Or maybe all the updates to add new features have broken others. That happens in dev, you know? Well, sometimes yeah, you have to do does. a clean install too, right? Like with anything. I remember, yeah. you know, even with like Android phones, like if something would go wonky, I would just delete apps and reinstall them and things to be fine. Which is always a pain. No one ever wants to do that. Mm-hmm. God, there so many Android phones. And then uh, Facebook's actually put out a public request for logs on the issue as well. So looks like it's a mystery to them as well. So if you have issues, send it to Facebook. Tell them. Help them out. Help them fix it for you. Help them help you. Yeah. Uh, Angie said most of the core content they experience hasn't had any recent updates or patches, but that could be. Hmm. 
don't know. Okay. Uh, all right. Next piece of news. So HTC has cut the Vive Pro headset price from $800 down to $600. So the full kit with 1.0 tracking is now $900, and with the 2.0 tracking is $1,200. That's a heck of a deal, David, don't you think? <laughs> um, I mean, if you if you had a Vive previously and you just want to upgrade to a Pro, um, you know, $600 is not like too terrible if you want to maintain your base station ecosystem and you don't want to switch to inside out. Um, but you know, the price for a full vibe pro kit is more than an index. That's, I can't imagine why someone would buy a vibe pro full kit if they could get an index for less. It's, it's funny that you say that because a friend of mine, um, like for Christmas, we exchanged Amazon wish lists and he had the vibe pro kit on there. And I was like, I'm obviously not going to buy you a Vive Pro for Christmas, but you should really look into the index because it's going to be about the same price or a little bit cheaper, and you're going to get a much better experience. Yeah, and I wonder he had how many people no idea. out there like don't even realize that you can only get it on Steam. You know, yeah. like people look on Amazon for shopping, but you, you, I mean, Steam is where you get an index. Do you think that's like a missed opportunity that Valve isn't selling it on Amazon? Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, if they reduce price or something, or, or they've got some kind of other option to, to expand distribution, I think I think they're probably pretty happy with controlling distribution and getting all of the overhead on their own device. So and they you know, can't even keep up with demand anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Same right. as Plus. Yeah, I, it brings up an interesting point. What you just said, David. How many of you have gotten an email from a family member or a friend over the course of the last thirty days saying, "Uh." Can you help me? I'm trying to find a headset for my kid. Yeah, Diane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my brother wanted a headset and uh, was trying to figure out, you know, well, well, what am I going to get? He really wanted to play Elite Dangerous, mm. which uh, he <laughs> he so he finally got himself a headset. I forget which one he settled on, and he ended up in the first week that he had it said that he played 80 hours of oh my straight. <laughs> turns out turns out he had not actually played it he just hadn't been like closing out the splash screen so it had been like <laughs> saying that he'd been playing continuously and, and he was like trying to figure out why it had been saying that he'd been playing like continuously not sleeping not eating not going to work and i was like well have you actually been exiting out of it and he's like Oh, no, I guess I haven't been. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's funny. Well, My nephew I... messaged me and he was like, hey, um, do you know where I can get a quest more quickly? Because it says it's not going to be delivered until almost February. And this was back in like late November, early December. And um, I was like, no, nah, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, There's nothing I can do. I don't I don't know what you want from me. Um and then it brought up another issue. Like, it sucks because Oculus doesn't have a function to purchase games for other people and gift them. Yeah. And not only that, but they don't have gift cards either. Yeah. So like, my yeah. nephew is getting this new headset soon, and I, I, I mean, I got him like a Visa gift card because you know what? What do you do? Like, how do you buy a game for someone? You can't. I mean, you can buy Steam gift cards. That's actually like a really. That is a huge missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. yeah. You should absolutely one hundred percent be able to gift. 
games and apps and buy especially, gift cards. I mean, you can even do it on iPhone. I can gift someone a game. Especially at Oculus Connect, they gave out gift cards to people that were there. They have yep. the, the technology to make a gift card. <laughs> Oh like, yeah, for no, years yeah. they've had those in stores that you could, you know, do Facebook instant games or whatever. Yeah, Just, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's so strange. Now, uh getting back to our, our topic at hand though about the the Vive Pro, I will say, and I don't know uh Ian and, and Tatiana, since you were both at CES, did you see quite a number of booths using the Vive Pro as their headset to show off uh their apps and their wares? Did you pay attention to that at all? I'm so trying few. to. Yeah, it was. A, it wasn't a lot. It was actually you know, a lot less than last year. It's always like such a, a conference settings are not friendly to to uh, the Steam VR tracking stations. Like the lasers and interference that you can get from nearby booths is sometimes uh, just murders the the entire setup. So uh, yeah, I didn't see a, to- a ton of them now. And mm. even like the Xtal uh, headset, like the first time I tried it, they they had the base station set up there for their their system. But Are you they talking did, about they a had Pepcom it, or on the floor? At Pepcom. And okay. at Pepcom, they had it in 3DOF mode because there was too much interference, they said, at the conference to make that work. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, so... I guess it's time to move on to the next section, which is the release of the week. And this is where we each talk about any new stuff that we've played this week. Um, I don't know. I'll start over here with our guest, Diane. Uh, Diane, have you played anything new this week? And it's okay if you don't, if you say, oh, I don't have time to play because I'm too busy working. Yeah, I mean, um, it's not that I'm too busy working to play. It's just I've been really into just 2D games lately. I've been playing a lot of mm. Pillars of Eternity lately. Ooh, um, I, I, I like you. So I know my, my husband and my brother have been playing a lot of, what is it, um, uh, Blade and Sorcery. So I don't think it's yeah. a new release, but they've been playing that. But I, I, I haven't been able to get into it just because... It's it's a little too intense for me, yeah. honestly. Yeah, I being think like kind of similar boat. Yeah, having having like people like actually running at me and like having to like you know stab them as they are like coming. I find that to be a little too intense for me. Um, yep. So I much prefer that sort of game as um as a uh, as a two D, but. Um, yeah, so for me, I don't really have any any new games, just just old favorites right now. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong. I was Tried a little I was a little worried about this segment. Nah. I was like, do I need to like go and prepare for this part? Oh no, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I totally understand it. I mean, like I got sick after CES, and so like I'm I was sitting in bed a lot of the week, and I the only thing I really had the stomach for this week was some old Switch games. Uh, that you know got me through the week. Uh, what's the game from the FTL developers? I can't think of its name right now. Into the uh, breach. Yes, yeah. into the breach. Oh, I'm so addicted to Into the Breach, uh, <laughs> and I can only beat it on easy. I can't even get to normal, and uh, it's so crushingly difficult for me. But I love that game and yeah, Tetris 99. That got me through my illness this week. But I want to mention Iron Lights is on Kickstarter mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from E McNeil. And uh, that looks like a super amazing 
uh, idea concept. Hopefully, it's executed as yeah, well as. Uh, for that. I mean, E. McNeil has more experience than almost any developer in mobile. I mean, uh, maybe there's a couple of devs that have more games than E out there in mobile VR, but I really doubt it. I think he's yeah. He's the at like the three only one that really games. comes to mind is Oswe, right, for their Anchar games and yeah, uh, and then just recently Deathlap. But I think the one thing I will say about E. McNeil is that typically he tends to make games that are not action focused a lot of strategy games or you know like the dark net was more of a puzzle game then you have tectera and all of his mm-hmm. kind of more slow paced strategy tactical games so i'm i'm going to be interested to see how he translates his experience to a 1v1 competitive sword fighting game like that yeah. is very different um but it's the same style like visually it has that same sort of sci-fi aesthetic so it's it's still in his wheelhouse, I think, but I, I'm I'm curious to see how it plays. It looks really fun. Yeah, E. e. McNeil is is one of uh, one of those gems from the very beginning of this iteration of VR, and he has made some amazing stuff. I have often told people that Tactera is one of my favorite games that have come out over the years. Yeah, did uh, that have not... to get ported to Quest? Because that would be so good to walk around that map while you're fighting each other. That would be that, so cool. That is a good question. I have not played it on the quest, so I don't know. We'll have to find out. We'll have to find so like, out. Well, so one of the things I'm excited about is so I'm I'm backing at the sixty dollar tier. Um, you know, I'm trying to really support that product because I yeah, E. McNeil was one of the first people I interviewed when I really started uh trying to report on VR full time. Um years ago when the very first gear vr uh innovator edition was coming out and you know i i've, I've backed a couple projects over the years and i t- tend not to back hardware projects because they're so hard to deliver uh via crowdfunding but you know software projects and you know this project is i, I it's hard to imagine something that should be as polished as this given the developers you know previous experience but like the 60 dollars tier he just did an update, and he says that at that tier, you get all of his previous games. So you're going to get like a code, I assume, oh, that's for great. all of his previous VR games. And then he even said in his first update that he added a tier, I think at $40, where you can get two copies of the game, one for yourself and one to hand to your friend so that you can have dueling. And it's got LAN support, local area network LAN support, so you can duel someone across, I think, any of the six-off headsets, uh, even, you know, oh, PC, so Quest. Sick. So like that's we were talking about Come the over. gift cards Love earlier. Come over, bro. Let's go. Yeah, my living room. Let's do it. <laughs> but like we were talking earlier about gifting games. Here's like a Kickstarter that's doing the gifting option right for you, uh, right off the bat, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think it's neat that he's giving away the other games as well. So you get the entire E suite. I like that. <laughs> I like that. That's very cool. Um, David, uh, what have you been playing this week? Have Have you played anything uh, fun? I've I've been pretty bad at my job. I haven't really played a whole lot of new stuff. Um, you know, CES was last week, holidays before that, so it's been mm-hmm. it's been kind of a slow period. Um, I really need to finally finish my review of 2MD VR football. I'm gonna do it. It's coming. I promise. I swear. Um, that is happening. That is a new Quest football game. It's um it's pretty good. Um, other than that, just I mean, kind of like everyone else here, just a lot of non VR stuff to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I've been playing a lot CES. of Dead by Daylight. That was, that game's amazing. 
I mean, in our defense, CES was a was a massive draw on all of our energies. I mean, like we had to be there from Monday and Friday looking for all the VR and AR stuff last week. And there was actually things that uh, we did the download last week, but I saw uh, a haptic, uh, a contact CI. I saw their latest uh, haptic demo right after our, our download. So I didn't cover that in last week's. That was cool where, you know, they had a bouncing basketball and I was able to bounce the basketball in midair with their haptic gloves and then uh, pick it up and throw it, throw it into a hoop and feeling, you know, some some approximation of what the actual touch of uh, bouncing the basketball would feel in my hand. Um, and I also tried out the looking glass. Have any of you ever seen looking glass displays? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are, uh, they use planoptic uh, function to basically spread out multiple views that give you a 3D effect. Um, so you get in a, pre- you can move back and forth, no glasses, um, and feel like you're seeing into depth into the monitor. Mm. And they've got this really cool little, they so I think they, they crowdfunded it, but they've got this nice little like small display that's, uh, very small, but it it produces an incredible, very believable 3D effect. And then it's become a very popular dev platform where uh, devs who are working in VR and AR can use these displays combined with various tracked objects um, to produce pretty impressive, cool things. And so this this awesome video that we recorded, I put it on the YouTube channel. Uh, hopefully Heaney can put it into the chat to show it to people. But what they've got is a Vive tracker on the back of like a Maglite flashlight, one of those big flashlights. And he's pointing it at his display and you can move your head back and forth and really see this flashlight in a really believable fashion displaying on this display on the other side of the room. And then he points, you know, then he turns around the flashlight and shows you the flashlight isn't actually on. And he's able to use the Vive tracker to show the, flashlight moving all the way around the display in a really believable fashion. There's a little bit of latency, but they did a pretty good job with the latency there. Um, but it's, yeah, if, if devs are out there, if there's devs watching this, that, that those looking glass displays are pretty popular, those small ones for doing sort of heads free, uh, you know, headset free, um, like a, a way better version of a 3ds. Yeah. I mean, mm. It's a good it way of putting it. I think. You have yeah. to turn the lights down a little bit. You know, it's still got a brightness situation, I think, slightly, but that little one is really popular. So, Ta- Tatiana, um, have you played anything new this week? No, uh, CES like really wiped me out, so yeah, I haven't really. Gotta get back in the groove. Yeah. What about our comments? Do we have anything? Uh, um let's see james said see the smaller displays with leap motion implementation pretty neat but they have improved a lot since then large ak display plus rendering improvements like refractions definitely think light field displays like this have a strong future yeah so like to be clear they're they're explaining they've got this the little glasses free display like i was describing and then you've got a little leap motion right in front of it so you can put your hand right in front of the display and sort of act like you're touching the content that's on the display and it's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, I guess, Ian, do you have anything other games or anything that you've done this week that you want to add? Yeah. I just need to catch up. Like I said, I've okay. been sick from the, from, from the CS cough and. All right. Well then let's move me. on. Let's move on to the next section of our show, which is called the hot topic. <laughs> 
the hot topic. <laughs> I love it. All right. So uh, with Sony announcing that they're skipping E3 again, what does 2020 have in store for PlayStation VR? And it's a really interesting question. Uh, I'll start over here with David. David, what's your take on, first of all, of Sony skipping E3 again? Is this going to be a continued pattern? And then also, what does that mean for PlayStation VR? Yeah, I think E3 is um, dying. You know, I, I don't think that's, you know, very hidden at this point. I think it's clearly um, either on its way out entirely or undergoing or very soon will undergo a dramatic change uh, because the conference as it was founded does not exist anymore. That show hasn't existed for a while. Um, it's just not the same. It's It used to be an industry trade show, but now it's become more of a... Um, just another PAX. You know, it's very public focused. It's very um, bright and shiny, glitz and, you know, glamour and, you know, having, you know, advertising activations and events at the show that are geared towards a consumer audience rather than industry people. Um, so it's just a very different show now. And, you know, that's fine. You know, GDC kind of is what E3 used to be, um, you know, but a kind of a better version even, I would say. Um, so E3, you know, it just needs to adapt to the change of times because uh, I think Sony sees that they see that there's not as much value now with the way the internet is and um, they can have their own event and live stream and have just as many people tune in online and control everything about it and not have to compete with other headlines during the same week. And it just makes sense. Like why would Sony go to E3 if they can have their own PS5 reveal event and get even more attention and exposure from it with probably way less overhead. Like it just, it's, it's a no brainer. You know, uh, a while back uh, in the early days, I think it was at the SVVR Expo number one, uh, we had a conversation uh, of will expos and conventions die a slow death as VR becomes more prominent and people can host things within VR. Now, I know that's, that's not what you were saying, but but yeah, the evolution of the expo, the evolution of the convention is definitely a real thing. Um, yeah, I think and, something like that is is definitely potential in the future. I know, I mean, even Jeff Keighley with the Game Awards kind of dabbled in this concept a little bit because he, um, a lot of the games that were at the Game Awards, they had demos that were uploaded onto Steam that were only available that weekend. Mm -hmm. So it was like a limited time sort of like, oh, you don't have to go to a show. You can just try the demos from home. You know, something like that paired with VR could definitely be the future of like an expo of some kind. I think that would be a really cool way to do it. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm curious, Ian, uh, would you be willing to attend uh, next year CES if it was held 100% in VR? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I've, I've actually been struggling with you know i struggle every year with cs because uh to everything david said is happening to cs too right where uh some major companies pull out because they can control the message more at their own events and uh don't need to get lost in the shuffle and getting sick running around vegas for a week is not fun um you know there's a lot of uh a lot of how would i say you know a lot of there's this tendency at an event like CS where they're, where the company is always like, yeah, we'll have this fixed in six months. Um, yeah. When you bring up yeah. the really tough questions. 
Like, oh, sorry, yeah. this is an old demo. Actually, it's a, it's a yeah. couple weeks old. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's not. Don't, don't it's worry. Not, yeah. It's not here right now, present at the show. Yeah. But we do have one back at the office. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, uh, the problem is the, the the flip side of that is hardware is the one thing that's really hard to replicate in VR. You know, you you're trying to show wider field of view better occlusion tracking, which, you know, both of these things were on display in various ways with Pimax being one of the demos that showed wider field of view at CES and uh, Pico showing their occlusion free tracking. Um, those things you can't really simulate well uh, on the previous generation hardware with a VR yeah, headset. So like there's yeah. still value in face-to-face -face demos and actually seeing these things. It's back whenever like HD first started happening, people with standard definition televisions would be like, "Oh, I, I watch the HD channels and I don't see a difference." Like, yeah, because <laughs> you don't have the right TV for it. Obviously, you don't see a difference. I, I found it amusing as I was walking around CES the number of people who were taking out old phones that maybe shoot 1080p and then recording all of these high definition 8K TVs. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. okay, you're showing that they exist, but you're not really getting the full value because yeah. of how you're recording it. So, yeah, there is some right. stuff. Now, I don't know, uh, Tatiana, do you feel like uh, Sony is uh, taking a big gamble by not <laughs> being at what is considered to be a big show? Or are they reading the, you know, the, the writing on the wall and saying, okay, we're going to be proactive about this? I I, I think it's neither um i think sony is doing the right thing e3 is dying it's the show in itself i hate to say it is kind of a joke at this point um when mm -hmm. they made it like super open to the public in 2017 i wrote an editorial on how it was a bad idea the next year they gave us like press hours um but then they opened more tickets you know this past year and it's just like it, it's a mess and like sony always has the best booth right and I think it was really overwhelming for them. They set up a great system, but people wouldn't respect that system. And mm -hmm. I can't blame them for pulling out. But you uh, have I will to say that Nintendo does an amazing job at their booth at E3. It's extremely organized. Um, they have multiple entrances. They have a very good queue system with an app you download, you sign up for a time, you then you wait in a queue line, then they take you to the main line. They have tons of demo stations, a huge area. I mean, they take over the majority of the hall they're in, and they do a great yeah. job. And uh, Sony was similar, but I mean, like to your point, they're that it's kind of a reach the point with them where they have just like so many different things going on that it's um like they need like their own thing. Like the PlayStation Experience was almost as big as an E3, and it was just Sony, you know. So I mean, I yeah. hope they bring that back because that was a cool show. But that was another um you know consumer focus event and. Um, you know, consumer focused stuff isn't bad. I don't want to sound like I'm uh, gatekeeping, but you know, there, there's just, a, there's a difference, you know, there like, is. A, PAX and GDC are two very different shows and E3 try to be both and you can't really do that. It, well, they, they need to be separate, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. and yeah. to my point too, like you have to think about what's coming for Sony, the PlayStation five, hopefully the next iteration of the PlayStation VR, the last of us too, like all these exclusives and stuff. Like, do you want good games? Then they're not going to be 83. Like, let them do what they need to do to get mm -hmm. us everything the way we expect it to be. Do, do we think it was a cost-cutting decision? They like, money, money drives nah. a lot of these decisions. No? Nah. No. I mean, I mean, no. I mean it, it, it's, 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 other, 
it's cost effectiveness ahead. solution, right? I mean, like, I think that's more effective to do the control, everything else we said, where you control your own fan event and, you know, directly target the people who are actually going to buy your hardware and your games. I mean, like, I, Last of Us 2 was premiered at PlayStation Experience, as I recall. Uh, Last of Us, yeah. And just hearing the waves of screams going through the crowd is something that you can't match at, like, a broader event where there's non-fans in the crowd. Before we switch over to our interview mode, um, I don't know, David, is there any uh, housekeeping stuff that you want to do or talk about yes. or anything? <laughs> I want to tell you to tune in to the VR Culture Show, which goes live tomorrow on Friday. It is a third episode from our wonderful Xena here at Upload, uh, where her and Jamie like to go travel around the world. They're globetrotters, and they visit a lot of cool places that are doing non-gaming things in VR. And um, mostly non-gaming, not always non-gaming. But I think uh, this most recent episode will be about their trip to Japan. They saw a lot of cool stuff. Um, they've done other episodes about different um, film festivals and events and uh, a lot of really cool, evocative VR experiences. So definitely check that out. And that's going to be here on our YouTube channel tomorrow. And uh, also VR Recap will be tomorrow where we round up the news in a brief you know, two to four minute package. And we always do a giveaway as well. Uh, we have a really cool special giveaway coming this week for multiple different games from a single publisher. Um, so that'll be fun. And um, other stuff coming up. Uh, we're going to be going to PAX East and GDC very soon. So keep uh, keep an eye out for coverage on those. Mobile World Congress. Um, that stuff's coming. So, yeah. A lot of fun stuff. Okay. Good time. And Excellent. Join All right. our Discord well, server, by the way. Yeah. There join that. Be part of the community. Well, then let's uh, stay tuned, folks, because we've got a great interview here with our guest, Diane. And uh, thanks for watching. We'll see you in the future. Let me teleport you guys. Give me a second. Welcome back. This is the interview portion. We're here with Diane. With uh, Well, tell us your position and where you work. Um, so I am the privacy and security lead for Mozilla's Mixed Reality Projects. I work in Pittsburgh remotely for Firefox Reality Team for Mozilla. Um, and basically it's my job to think of all of the emerging threats that are happening with, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, anything in between, because it turns out that there are a lot of emerging privacy threats. Yeah. I, so, you, uh, you wrote this blog post, uh, in December that was, uh, eye catching. I lost my notes here. What I've got here are comments. Um, but I, I, was looking through the blog post and you you did such a great job explaining um what's going on uh specifically with oculus uh quest right um yeah so ex uh, explain the blog post a little bit and then i'm going to ask you a couple specific questions about some mm -hmm. of the things you had in that yeah so basically part of mozilla's brand promise is we are all about privacy and what that means is that part of our ethos and part of our privacy policy is that we don't want to be, um, we don't want to be selling our users' data, and we don't want to, and so we want to make sure that we can interoperate with other products, other platforms like Oculus and like Facebook, while still remaining true to our privacy policies. Um, and so I was investigating, you know, what, what is happening on the Oculus when you're doing routine browsing um, for, for our knowledge, for our products. And so I was curious, you know, what kinds of data 
is sent back to Oculus during a routine browsing session. And that's where this all sort of came out from. Um, because Oculus in their privacy policy reserves the right to pretty much send back any data they want to. Mm. Um, whether that's VR specific data, like your head pose, your, um, your voice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or whether it's normal telemetry data and timing data. And the result of this was that although they reserve the right to send back this data, currently they're only sending back normal telemetry and timing data, like URL data, time to interactive, et cetera. So what, what we would consider run of the mill um, telemetry data. Mm. So, yeah, uh, one of the key things in that blog post was you, you explained the difference between collecting and processing, I think, were the two terms. Can you explain yes. the difference between those two terms and what they mean? And specifically, people would see these terms in privacy policies, typically from various companies around the, around the world. So um, processing is something that is necessary, especially in, when we're talking about mixed reality. Like right now, you, you're processing what I'm doing with my hands. You have to process what I'm doing with my hands in order to say that I'm moving my hands like a crazy person, which is what I do <laughs> when I talk. Um, but what you probably aren't doing is collecting my hand data right now. You aren't collecting it and storing it for later use or later processing. So processing is kind of this transient data process, uh, shouldn't use processing. It's this transient operation on the data where the data goes in, you do something to it, and then the data goes back out again. Whereas in collection, the data goes in, it's kind of stored in this box, and it might also go out again and be used, but it also stays in that box for later use, maybe for advertising. Heaney, mm -hmm. can you actually find the blog post and drop it into the comments uh, so that people can read what you wrote about this and really uh, digest it? Um, what can users do, people who have headsets, do to protect their own privacy and um you know it's not just there's a comment here asking whether it's uh you know specifically facebook or oculus or whether it's broader than that but you know what can people do to affect change here and what's the sort of red flags uh that people should keep an eye out for gosh yeah that's a really hard question um because one of the things that I push really hard back against is that I know that individuals want to do things. Individuals want to be able to affect change. But what we really need is a collective. What we really need is collective action. Um, because the companies are the ones with all of the power here. The companies force the, the privacy policies and you either... You either use the technology and you are bound by the terms of the contract that you um, implicitly agree to, or you don't use the technology and therefore you aren't bound to it, right? That's the, that's the reality of the situation that we're in. So what you can do, um, now there are other headsets, um, like what's it called? Um, Pico, I think is what it's called. Now there they're supposed to be a more privacy preserving headset because they're geared more towards enterprise use. So enterprise use has um, more of a uh, 
less less of um less of a what's the word I'm looking for less of an incentive to sell towards advertisers because they're making their money off of enterprise deals, right? So it's you can look at the incentive structures and try to purchase your hardware based on that. So that's one option that you can do. But unfortunately, due to contracts of adhesion, there's not much as the individual that you can do. One thing that you can do is try to, um, you know, we're trying to put together, you know, what are reasonable policy proposals? What are things that we can do that people can support and try to get their Congress people to support? Um, yeah. Um, one thing that I, I've noticed, um, or at least I've pointed out on this podcast in the past, is, uh, you know, I watched the evolution of what happened with the app stores, where uh, when the iPhone app store first debuted, a lot of those apps were $10, $15 a piece. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it bears mentioning that, you know, Oculus Quest apps are all uh, between 10 and, you know, $30 right now. So you're paying for an experience and you're expecting to get an experience out of that that you paid for up front and not to have uh, any collection of personal data. You know, in response to that, I'm paying a premium, so to speak, in yeah. order for that to, to be done. But to the the sort of point, I guess, the, the broader point here is Facebook wouldn't want to, or any company, I, I hate to focus just on Facebook, and there's a comment here asking whether uh, there, you know, there's a bias against Facebook here uh, in focusing on their specific um, business model, and, and since there's so much fear of the company in general. But um, they would not want to restrict a future revenue stream uh, or if their business shifts, uh, they're going to want to protect and make sure that their business has a ten-year lifespan. You know, it can grow over the over the span of many years and can go in different areas. So, uh, I, I guess I I'm going to rephrase this into a different perspective. Is there anyone doing really simple language privacy policies? that are easily understandable by, you know, 13-year-olds who are at the beginning of, you know, who are using these things in many cases um, that we can point to and say, you know, all privacy policies policies should be written this way. Um, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and you're not going to get that because privacy policies are legal documents. Um, and so they're going to be written by lawyers. And, um, you know, my mom's a lawyer and I can tell you right now, nothing she writes is, is going to be comprehensible to a 13 year old. <laughs> um, but, but you actually, you make a good point. So one thing that we, we do need to think about is the, the types of, um, compensation models, um, advertising as a compensation model. I think we we've, we've noticed isn't a compensation model that incentivizes privacy. Um, Now, there are actually, but on the other hand, there are ways that we can enable advertising while respecting privacy. And one of my favorite things to pick on, and it's weird that I both pick on it and kind of advocate for it, it's gaze. So our gaze can reveal a lot of different things about us. It can reveal our sexual orientation. It can reveal, oops, keep 
trying to enumerate on my fingers and forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) It can reveal things like our sexual orientation. It can reveal whether we have affective disorders like um, autism. That's not an affective disorder. Apologies. Um, It can reveal whether we have autism. It can reveal affective disorders like anxiety or depression. Um, All sorts of things that are either protected information or sensitive information. And so exposing raw gaze data Um, especially to something like the immersive web, is something that I advocate very strongly against. However, uh, exposing gaze data in very abstracted ways could also be very attractive, especially for doing um, advertising in a privacy-protecting way. Like um, if you expose gaze data in a way that says, Someone has interacted with this ad, they've engaged with this ad, i.e. they've looked at it, then an advertiser can pay out and have more confidence that someone has actually engaged with this, this ad without requiring all of the tracking, without requiring all this cross-site tracking that we see now. And so it's a way to do engagement without requiring all the tracking, without requiring all of this privacy-violating tra- technology that we see. Um, and so it's it's one of those things that in privacy, everything is context dependent. There are no right and wrong answers. And I think that that's what makes it really hard. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And, and I think what we try on or what I try to do is I, I want to illuminate and really raise the level of understanding of these very hard to grasp technologies. And the magic of VR uh, is that your it disappears, right? The technology is disappearing in front of your eyes. Uh, the, the, the latest um, technology for Quest is to remove the controllers themselves and just to reach out with your own bare hands into midair to manipulate mm-hmm. content. And so it's just one more layer of this technology literally disappearing right before your eyes and you're, you're just being there. And... Uh, it becomes really important to understand what these words mean, how they can be used, and to start discussions about policy and about uh, what these companies can be doing better. Um, yeah. The, you know, I think that the, the flip side of that is what you said at the beginning of this, where you know processing the data is is necessary for function on so many levels, and I don't think. It's just not really well understood where collection ends and where processing begins. And I, and I don't know how we can illuminate, uh, illuminate that more. One of the comments here was bringing up um, decentralized VR. And I, it's, I guess it's an interesting idea, but I, I don't understand how we would get to decentralized VR. Um, and I mean, there's, there's ideas of like uh, blockchains being used to, uh, distribute ownership in a different way, but it's it's always when you get into discussions with blockchains, you end up going down a real deep rabbit hole of things that it could do that it will probably never do. <laughs> um, the thing with yeah. blockchain is that you know, if if you look at say Bitcoin, which is you know the kind of quintessential blockchain, it's people think of blockchain as anonymous technology. And one of my favorite quotes about Bitcoin is that it's just Twitter for your bank account. <laughs> it's not actually it's not actually anonymous. There's a lot of work that you have to do in order to make it anonymous. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that and breakdown. So, That's fantastic. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that um, you have to take a really good look at the guarantees that you want to get out of it. Like saying that you want something that's decentralized. That's great. But what are the guarantees? Oh God, I hope my cat's not breaking my VR equipment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hope no one heard that crash. Um, one of the things that you have to look at, you know, we're not saying, oh, what we what'll solve all of our problems is decentralized VR. No, what are the guarantees that we're actually looking to get? Is it anonymity? Is it the lack of a centralized um, infrastructure? Is it the absence of Facebook? Um, and from there, then you can start thinking about, okay, well, what actually solves the problems here? And so that's that's mainly my problem when we talk about decentralization is that I think that we we say decentralization before we talk about the actual guarantees we're looking for. Um, I think one question I've got to ask, and it might be my last question here, um, but uh, machine learning is sort of uh, the latest um, frontier in technology. And um, we ran a story a while back uh, about basically what ended up happening was there was a uh, report that popped up on Reddit that uh, suggested that during the testing phase for uh, Oculus Quest, um, they had a bug reporting system in place just for uh, the, the testers and engineers of the Oculus Quest. And that, uh, that bug reporting process more or less took a photo of your environment uh, whenever the person said, okay, I'm having, uh, I've had some kind of a tracking glitch. Let's report this bug. And it would send a uh, image of the environment um, to, you know, back to Facebook headquarters um, along with this, you know, bug report that I'm, I'm sure include other, included other information about the headset at the given time. Uh, we wrote about it, and the thing about this was that I took a very measured approach to writing about this particular issue. Uh, you know, I, I reached out to Facebook a couple times to try to find out what was actually going on here, um, because the way the Reddit post was framed made it seem like this could be happening at home to home users. You know, it was it wasn't written that way. If you read it carefully, it wasn't saying that, but you could easily glance this Reddit post and take away that impression that when you do a bug report, um, more information than you expect is sent back to Facebook. And that's not the case. This was exclusively a, a, you know, a developer process and Facebook was explicit in their communications with me to say that uh, the internal engineers at Facebook who opted into this process knew what was going to happen when they hit that bug report button to help um, fix this, uh, you know, fix this tracking system that is so core to the absolute functionality of Oculus Quest and and Rift S. So, you know, I get the impression that they're applying machine learning algorithms to lots and lots of reports of, you know, internally, gathered from their own data to improve the, the basic functionality of these systems. And I guess I'm under, I'm trying to understand is our, we put this video out on YouTube 
right? What's keeping um, people from inferring all those things earlier that you talked about just by looking at our video, you know, finding our video and seeing our gaze and seeing the movements of our hands and producing a pretty good model of who we are just from these avatars, you know, and I, and I, so anyways, that's a long, long story, but I, yeah. I want to understand machine learning algorithms and how that relates to some of the things you brought up. Well, um, what's keeping them from doing it right now is pretty much that people haven't done it yet. Um, and when they do, they'll write a paper and they'll probably put a positive spin on it. And then privacy advocates will be like, you know what? That was a terrible idea. You shouldn't have. It <laughs> <laughs> was a terrible idea. You should put a negative spin on this. This is a total privacy violation. Um, but, you know, it's something that I am uh, working on. I'm actively working on trying to get collaborations for, you know, can we link avatars from, um, you know, from like this, you know, this experience to another experience, you know, I'm looking for collaborators, I'm interested in collaborations, you know, can we link people identities from one experience to another based on things like, you know, hand tracking, based on their gait, things like this? Can we connect people um, based on these biometrically derived uh, data? what I cleverly call BDD, because it's not technically biometrics. Illinois has a biometrics law that very narrowly defines biometrics as things like your, um, your face scan, retinal scans, fingerprints, um, et cetera. And so this really is what we're talking about. It's biometrically derived data because it is intrinsic to you, but it's more derived, right? Um, and so... Uh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. And, and and so what what we're what we're what I'm saying is that what's keeping people from doing it is that it hasn't been done yet. Now there is something to be said for there is a certain need for granularity. For example, right now, is is this movement that I'm doing here is this quite granular enough to identify me? I don't know. That's something that you need to look into. Is this head movement that I'm doing? Can you get this from a video? I don't know, but um, can you get it from the headset side of things? If you have access to that, probably um, would be my that would be my guess is that if you're looking at solely the video of things, I think that you maybe don't have enough fidelity. But if you're looking at it from the sensor side of things, you probably do. I think um, I guess I should bring up a couple other things that I, I've talked to. But like I know Facebook has uh, they're working very hard with hyper realistic. What do they call them? They, they currently call them codec avatars, I believe, um, to uh, really represent you in a much more realistic way. And I, I put one of these questions to Facebook wondering. You know, in their pro in their terms of use, they ask you that you use your real identity, your real name, um, in setting up a Facebook account. And now, to access certain social features via Oculus headsets, you need to use you need to link your Facebook account to access those social features. <laughs> and 
the, the, the problem with that whole policy is that it That's actually encourages people to set up more fake accounts mm -hmm. um, to get around having to give their data collection. So related to the Kodak avatar situation is that, you know, we are, you know, sometime down the road, uh, it makes sense for the headset to authenticate the person putting the headset on as the owner of the headset. Theft protection, privacy protection, in, in theory, uh, making sure you are you can load up only your settings and your content and protect you in significant ways. Um, you know, does that level of, I guess it's going back to the issue of this policy, does it encourage people to actually fake, you know, set up more fake accounts? And is that defeating the process? So what, you know, is there a better solution out there than, than that? Oh gosh. I, I mean, there are a ton of problems with um, requiring real identity um, accounts and especially for a, a social um, environment. Uh, Jessica Outlaw from the Extended Mind did a study where she found out that, you know, within an hour, um, all of the women in her study felt uncomfortable in uh, social VR. Um, they felt harassed and they just, they felt generally uncomfortable and they were more than ready to leave. Um, I haven't done much in social VR outside of pubs because um, I don't really have any interest in being asked myself or feeling that way and so i choose to do private by default instead of joining like the large um more open social vr settings um and that's my personal choice but besides that um there are a lot of places where dissidents and others might want to not be represented by their real identities i personally don't have a facebook account to do the Oculus testing, I wanted to see if there is a difference in the data that was sent back between um, not being logged into Facebook and being logged into Facebook. And so I actually created a Facebook account for my cat. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, my cat now has Facebook uh, account. Sorry, Fantastic. Watson. Sorry, I violated your privacy. So I now have a fake Facebook account for my cat to violate that, to, to, to do that. And so... Um, but then, you know, there are one of the other things that I do is a lot of ethics work. And is it ethical to require people to be realistic or be photorealistic? And I think that this, you know, I, I think that we could talk for hours on this entire subject realistically. Um, so I don't know if I'm even coming close to answering your question but I think that there are a lot of problems with having a photorealistic avatar. It's like, I know personally, I would much prefer to be realized in virtual reality as a cat. That's how I feel my intrinsic self is. Um, I, so one of the best questions, um, so I was at one of the Oculus Connects and uh, it, this, I always come back to this question because um, there was uh, a transgender person who came up and asked a social VR person at Facebook whether uh, they would be allowed to use voice changing software or hardware to embody the gender uh, that they identify with. Um, mm -hmm. And whether that you know ran afoul of Facebook's identity policies. Um, 
And I don't think that question was answered then. And I that's this was a, an Oculus Connect years ago. I don't think it's been answered now. And so it, it's an ongoing. So, so this, yeah, this this conversation yeah. can go on for hours. And I, I want to keep having this conversation. I'm so appreciative of you joining us today um, to, to have that conversation because these aren't easy answers. And, you know, politics is one of those things where, um, you know, the Internet allows some of the least informed people to make the largest uh, voice, to, to, to sort of make the biggest impact. And it doesn't allow for more nuanced discussion that really can result in, it doesn't always allow for more nuanced discussion that can result in actual policy change that, you know, meets the needs of a very large segment of people. The, the extremists come in and they push the people apart and it becomes really hard to have these discussions. So uh, we're, we're doing our, our best to, um, you know, have these discussions and uh, to, to, to be able to apply deeper meaning, you know, raise up the, the knowledge of our audience so that we can uh, discuss these things more in depth and understand what the solutions might be in a couple of years. And I appreciate everything we've talked about. So I just, um, hopefully we can continue this discussion in the future. Yeah, I just want to finish up by saying that, you know, privacy um, I love working on privacy. I love working on emerging technology privacy. It's 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 really hard um, because it's you know there's a technological part to it, but uh, privacy inherently is about people. It's about having respect for people. It's about caring for people. It's you know there's a policy component. You have to be aware of what's going on around you, um, and you have to you have to be able to contextualize things, and you have to think about all of that. But it's really about the intersection of technology and people. Um, and so thank you so much for having me on and, and letting me talk about this. Oh, thank you so much. And is gonna, let's let's try our handshake here. Yeah, thank you so much. And <laughs> thank you for tuning in. And uh, tune, tune back in next week. We'll have a new guest and we'll talk about the week's VR news. So thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm.